I imagine most people think the same thing when you mention Captain Sully and the Hudson River, the near-fatal catastrophe of a commercial airliner in New York City. Welcome to The Leading Edge, a podcast brought to you by ARS Global Emergency Management. If you recall, it was in January 2009, New York City. The largest city in the world was very close to seeing a serious airplane crash. An aircraft with more than 150 occupants had struck a flock of geese while in flight. This happened shortly after departure, resulting in the airline losing power to both of its engines. The now-famed Captain Sully Sullenberg quickly diagnosed the problem and decided to proceed in an emergency landing into the Hudson River. As a direct result of this prompt and yet very suitable decision, not a single life was lost. Later, this historic movie came out in a movie. It was in 2016, and they named the movie after the captain, appropriately, Sully. You know, even if you're not a pilot or work in the aviation industry, there are many striking similarities between a pilot and the leader of an organization. A decision made by a leader in an urgent moment can make the difference between life and death, both literally and figuratively. A captain of an airline is held accountable for all the lives on board when a critical moment is encountered. Likewise, the decision of a leader of an organization, whether it's a small team or a large corporate, impacts everyone's viability. Had Captain Sully decided to go back to the airport, even though the aircraft didn't have the ability to do so, the results would have likely been very different. The simulation that was used in the movie even demonstrated a high likeliness that the airplane would have crashed into the center of a metropolitan city. This would have created a massive disaster with numerous casualties, and the impact would have been monumentous. So before we talk about effective leadership during a crisis, we need to begin with an assessment of what a crisis actually is, what it is, and perhaps just as importantly, what it isn't. Asking 10 people to define a crisis, uh, you're likely to get 10 different answers. It's common for people to think of a concrete example to define the term crisis. It could be a thunderstorm or a water disruption, terror, a labor strike, a pandemic, or an aircraft accident just like the one on the Hudson River. Crisis is an exclusive term. The term is bigger than just an accident. I think experience shows us that the most distinguished characteristic of accidents are that they're inescapable or to an extent, even normal. It's impossible to predict or even prevent every aspect of what will go wrong in any given situation. We can certainly identify areas that are indicative of a prudential risk, but an accident or a crisis by nature of definition is different from this. Every leader, no matter the size of the organization they're leading, lives and breathes with this reality. Presidents are no exception. You know, once a, a young journalist asked the Harold Macmillan, a, the former prime minister of the United Kingdom, saying, you know, what is the biggest challenge in leading the country? His reply was, events, dear boy, events. Today's organizational leaders face innumerable threats of floods and fires, terrorism, fraud, data breaches, pandemics, spills, contaminations, blackmails, faults extortion, litigation, and hurricanes, and this list, this long list, actually just keeps going on. Experts have different ideas about what it is that exactly constitutes a crisis, or even how to classify them precisely. But if we want an easy explanation for our context, here it is. A crisis is a major event that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it causes serious danger to the organizational future or day-to-day -day operations. Because of the potential impact that a crisis poses on an organization, SWIFT, yet effective decision-making becomes an absolute necessity. That brings us to the role of a crisis leader. 
And you might be asking, well, what exactly is a crisis leader? You see, a crisis leader is someone who takes on a very important challenge, which they may or may not have dealt with before. Secondly, they can handle the situation even with limited knowledge about what caused this challenge. And finally, a crisis leader is someone who can make fast decisions and choose the best course of action in a really timely manner. To me, this is the true measure of a great leader, particularly when we're talking about a crisis leader. So there's a well-known saying out there that says you can compare people to tea bags. And what do I mean by that is that just like a tea bag reveals its true color when it's submerged into hot water, I believe this also applies to leaders. When faced with a crisis, a leader's genuine capabilities are often revealed or exposing their true strengths and or weaknesses. In the coming weeks, we'll be exploring different aspects of crisis leadership with highly practical insights and wisdom that you can take away, such as decision-making, setting strategic direction, and how to run an effective team. For today's episode, we're going to focus mostly on the idea of commencing crisis leadership. But before we begin, it's worth highlighting that being a leader entails more than just propelling the team forward or upward. Equally essential is the leader's responsibility to safeguard an organization and its members during an anticipated crisis. In other words, a leader acts as a leading figurehead while also assuming the role of a protective shield. That being said, the evaluation of successful crisis leadership can roughly be determined by whether the leader retains their position following the crisis. We see this all the time. Crisis leadership is not about focusing on acquiring gains or propelling things forward exactly, but rather on minimizing and mitigating losses and keeping the team on track towards a successful future. Think about Captain Sully again, when confronted with this bird strike that seemingly came out of nowhere, reaching the original destination ceased to be his primary aim. And if you're like me, sometimes this is not as easy to do. Instead, the priority shifted swiftly to landing the plane safely without causing harm or as minimal casualties as possible, even if it meant compromising the initial plans. This exemplifies the core principles of crisis leadership. While your growth may encounter a temporary slowdown, your primary focus shifts. And in that critical moment, it now revolves around safeguarding your organization and its people. In talking with numerous leaders on their careers, specific moments tend to leave a lasting impression. And one of those type of moments is when they become aware that a crisis was unfolding within their organization. As we mentioned, the term crisis is broad and encompasses various components. To effectively respond to a crisis, it's important to first classify it. One straightforward yet highly effective method is to divide the crisis into one of two categories. It's either incident-driven or it's issues-driven. So let's take a look at incident-driven crises. These are the type that often come to mind when you think of examples such as a crash or an explosion, spills, and leaks. These typically occur suddenly and without any clear forewarning. Typically, the leader will receive information about the situation as it's unfolding and at the same time as others without any real advance notice. The abrupt nature and intensity of incident-driven crises can push leaders to feel the need for immediate action. And while it's important for emergency leaders to react promptly when it's appropriate, strategic crisis leaders need to adopt a different response. The strategic crisis leader's focus should be on buying time and creating an environment that enables them to carry out their responsibilities effectively. In essence, the main challenge in an incident-driven crisis is typically lies in slowing down the tempo and the pace of both the thought and action. It may be surprising, but it was former U.S. President George W. Bush who offers a very compelling example 
of an effective response for crisis leaders when confronted with incident-driven crisis. On the morning of September 11, 2001, while President Bush was engaged in reading a storybook to a group of young children at elementary school, his chief of staff entered the room, leaned in, and informed him of the second plane hitting the World Trade Center in New York City as a part of the September 11th attack. What's particularly noticeable in this incident was President Bush's ability to remain composed and refrain from immediate action in that very crucial moment. Rather than abruptly leaving and issuing rapid commands, he consciously chose to remain still. Over a decade later, the former president had shed some light on this deliberate action, or as seen by others as an inaction. He explained that he aimed to avoid heightening fear among those that were following him, or granting a sense of victory to the attackers. Many experts in crisis leadership recognized the wisdom of his actions in that very particular moment. By withholding an outward reaction, he created valuable space for reflection and gained precious time to formulate a really appropriate response. The truth is, while action needs to be expedited, a knee-jerk reaction isn't going to improve the situation either. And if this example of George W. Bush is a little too big in size, then imagine this. Imagine your company is suddenly engulfed with a fire while you're away. Fortunately, the fire is quickly extinguished and no one is harmed. However, you now face the challenge of dealing with property that is damaged and a sudden influx of tasks that are overwhelming your workload and those around you. As a leader in this situation, the temptation is to immediately jump into action and be strong. However, it's crucial to consider the potential consequences of hasty actions. Taking impulsive action is likely to induce fear and mistrust among your employees or your constituents. In times of crisis, your followers closely observe every move to gauge the severity of a situation. It's the reality of leadership. If you hastily respond without careful consideration, it may give the impression that you are either ill-equipped to handle the issue or that the well-being of the employees is really not on your priority list. If you feel and show fear through action, it's often seen by those around you. In essence, for any incident-driven crisis, leaders must prioritize setting a pace that allows them to effectively lead their organization. To me, that's the real key. It's about setting the pace. Also, you need to create and utilize cognitive space to carefully consider all the available options at hand. To me, it's about blocking out the noise, focusing solely on the issues at hand, understanding the options, and then making a firm decision. On the flip side of incident-driven, there exist crises that are driven by issues. These crises are characterized as insidious or slow-burning. And what do I mean by that? Well, they consist of incremental disruptions that gather pace swiftly rather than having an explosive start. However, their detrimental effects on an entire business model can often go unnoticed until it's too late to intervene, thus the slow burn. A good example to me was the banking crisis of 2008. It shook the global economy. This incident didn't appear out of nowhere without warning. Many eminent economists and investors correctly indicated key factors such as subprime mortgages and deteriorating credit markets prior to this crisis. And here's the movie connection again, The Big Short. Issue-driven crises can arise not only from broken systems or policies, but they can also come from seemingly common and overlooked problems. In our role as a commercial restoration company, we frequently encounter numerous cases involving mold problems. It never fails to surprise us how one can often underestimate the gravity of mold. I don't know if it's because when we were growing up, we saw mold on the side of a sandwich and thought, ah, no big deal. Or if somehow we convinced ourselves that mold on the side of an orange equaled penicillin. But mold is often perceived as a superficial issue that can be resolved simply by scraping the surface or concealing it with a fresh coat of paint. However, 
when mold permeates the structure of a property, it can significantly compromise its structural integrity. In the worst case scenario, a seemingly minor mold issue can gradually escalate into a severe crisis, eventually leading to a business's closure. As a result, in an issues-driven crisis, unlike incident-driven crisis, the primary challenge for the leader lies not in generating additional time and space. These resources are typically available in abundance and particularly at the early stages. Instead, the critical aspect becomes fostering a sense of urgency. The failure to swiftly address the emerging crisis represents a missed opportunity and can lead to a breakdown in effective crisis leadership. Furthermore, a delayed response simply allows a problem to grow and become more challenging to deal with, often leading to a more invasive solution. So hear me out for a second. I mean, I'm not a chips or chocolate kind of person, but I do love cheese. So imagine with me for a second an illustration. Imagine a skilled artisan cheesemaker taking immense pride in crafting exquisite cheese. It's something that's easy for me to imagine, actually. And after days of dedicated effort, you carefully present a magnificent piece of aged cheese on a plate, brimming with satisfaction. One day, however, to your dismay, you discover that the cheese has accidentally gotten wet overnight. Swiftly, you retrieve it, realizing you must now address this excess moisture to preserve the quality of the cheese. Without pausing and thinking, you immediately apply heat to the wheel of cheese to quickly dry it. However, applying direct heat to the cheese would undoubtedly cause further damage. This scenario represents incident-driven crisis. The immediate impulsive response upon receiving this bad news would be to hastily subject the cherished cheese to an intense heat from some kind of heat source. However, such an action being uninformed would likely cause greater damage. Now let's consider a slightly different situation. This time, your cheese isn't wet, but when you notice it, you notice there's a small amount of mold forming on the corner. Initially, it may seem like no cause for alarm since it's only a tiny bit of mold. However, like we know, molds have a tendency to spread over time. If left unattended, these molds will gradually invade the entire cheese, rendering it completely unedible. What a waste. This represents an issue-driven crisis. While the process unfolds more slowly in comparison, its severity should not be underestimated. Immediate action is required to cut out the spoiled portion of the cheese to prevent further contamination. Failing to do so, well, it's going to result in an irreparable damage to the entire cheese. So what's the conclusion of this? Well, there's a simple takeaway from today's episode. Crises can occur unexpectedly. That's the nature of them. And the leader's capacity to make sound decisions is what's going to shape the organization's future viability. It's crucial to accurately diagnose the nature of the crisis before making a decision. Remember, in crisis management, preserving as much of the cheese as possible should be our top priority. Take a moment to assess your cheese and determine is it wet or does it have mold on it? Pause and reflect. Or maybe waste no time and swiftly jump into action. You know, when I think about the crisis that I've experienced, with great hindsight, I can see how these principles can be applied. I can remember years ago being a part of a technical team for a theater show that performed for over 2,000 people. When faced with an incident-based crisis where the main power failed causing our main PA or speaker system to crash, there are hundreds of people waiting and watching, and a large team of our production staff looking for direction. So we paused to consider a few options and then committed to a decision to go off course and provide a less desirable but yet valuable alternate solution. Was it the best possible decision? Well, only a post-event crisis dialogue would determine that. However, what we know is that further delay or a non-decision would have created the worst possible outcome. In the post-event crisis, we discovered a couple of issue-driven crises as well that were really in development. And so 
We knew that allowing these problems to continue would only exacerbate the problem or issue further, and thus we made swift changes to policies and procedures. In crisis management, remember, while your growth may encounter a temporary slowdown, your primary focus in those critical moments should revolve around safeguarding your organization long term and the valuable people that make it so great. I'm your host, Donnie Coos, and our incredible producer is Abigail Chung. Don't forget to check out our resources online at arsgem.com blog. And of course, we're on LinkedIn, which is a great spot to check out. So until next time, you can listen to us online with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you can visit us online at arsgem.com slash leading edge. Stay curious and keep on learning.